Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier. I'd just like to thank you for joining us. More importantly, I'd like to thank you for standing for righteousness and justice. In the past week, there have been a, I've had many conversations concerning, I'll say, our recent topics of discussion. Covenant. But covenant more so in the aspect of the Lord's covenant to Abraham, specifically the borders that the Lord assigned to Abraham, that he covenanted with him, that he was going to give him. And you find that in Genesis 15, excuse me, in verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So when we look at that, of course, much of the discussion was exactly that, how, well, about 6,000 years, or in the last 6,000 years, the history of the Bible, how Israel has not stepped into the fullness of what the Lord covenanted with Israel. So, in this episode, I'd like to expand on that, and on trusting God, right? And previous episodes, and I'll just do a slight recap, right? I want to encourage you to go listen to the at least the last couple episodes of Matters of Life. We, want, we need to trust in what the Lord says. Well, we, we're discussing how our disobedience to the Lord, it takes away from experiencing the fullness of the blessings, of the benefits, of His provision, in, or I'll say the covenant that he covenanted with us, with Abraham, with Isaac, Jacob, with David, with the the Levites, and all who enter into his covenant. We need to understand that, right? And of course, the, the biggest thing was how, well, John, there are many nations that are set up now and they have borders and they have all these things and they're sovereign and, and absolutely. And I'm taking away from none of those things. But I, I want to remind us of something. Our God is a tribal God. When he, I'll say, changed Jacob's name to Israel. There were the 12 tribes of Israel, not the 12 subsidiaries, states, castes. They were the 12 tribes, denoting our God as a tribal God. Let's even look at that. If we study out history, and I'll say even today, whether that's in the Middle East, whether that's in Southwest Asia, whether that's even in uh, parts of Europe, you will find that tribes tend to disregard borders. They, they pay them little to no heed. Why? Because their parents, their ancestors, roamed the land freely. And they would rather pay attention to what has been passed down, what their fathers have taught them, their ancestors have passed down to them, then really give heed or credence to 
man-made, natural borders. Which, of course, in the natural, that's been twisted and manipulated in a number of different aspects, the biggest one being smuggling, whether that's for uh, drugs or narcotics, weapons, and even people and human trafficking. But a lot of times this happens across tribal lands. So I bring this up because we have to understand that about our God, how he is tribal. So also the, the bigger thing is about trusting him and his word and what he says. He's the one that set the boundaries. And if we, we do a, a quick read of Job, we'll find that the Lord educated Job on that. He said, I've set the boundaries even for the water, and I've determined how far it can come and where it can't cross over to. And he asked Job, tell me how I did that. You, well, you know. If you know so much, you tell me. I'll ask you and you tell me. And he goes into a number of different things and, and even boundaries that he sets. So the bigger question for us is, will we trust what man says or will we trust what our Heavenly Father says? And, and you can say that's a, you can argue that that's a simple question. But I, I would ask, have we? Have we truly trusted what the Lord said? Or have we only operated within the confines and the framework by what man has said? And if we are operating in the confines and the constructs of what man says, are we, trust, are we truly trusting the Lord? And, and I say this because as, as just as I was reflecting on this and in the conversations that I've had, I remember where we recently moved from Virginia in Virginia Beach. And I remember even living down at the oceanfront. There were, there was much, or many man-made boundaries, even amongst the neighborhood. You couldn't just say, oh, I live at the oceanfront. It was then a series of questions by anyone that was familiar with the area. Well, do you live in, and it was always certain neighborhoods. Do you live in Croatan? Do you live in Shadowlawn? Do you live, and it was a number of, of, I'll say, areas that are technically all down from or all around and a part of the oceanfront. However, they each denoted a different area. There were not even drawn on a map, but there were just boundaries that were there. And as I look, even amongst the church, even I'll say larger churches that had campuses, they chose to operate within the framework set up by man as opposed to just going, hey, this is, this is our church and this, we're doing what the Lord said. It was, well, this is our whatever campus. Typically denoting a, a man-made boundary before that. So what I'm getting at here is we just need to trust what our Heavenly Father says as it pertains to everything. You know, looking at a covenant, this is what the Lord says, right? Uh, we can look at Psalm 111. 
And actually, I'll begin at verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hand are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and righteousness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. You know, it's like there was multiple times just in that one psalm about the Lord's covenant. He will remember it forever. And we shouldn't be surprised. That's exactly what Jesus talked about. It's in Matthew 5, verse 18. Actually, we'll back up a second um, to verse 17. Jesus is being questioned about his, his knowledge and what he's doing concerning doing away with the uh, what's known as the Law and the Prophets or the Old Testament. The Law being the first five books of the Bible, known as the, either the Torah or the Pentateuch. But he says this. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the Law or the Prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So why do I bring that verse up? Because yes, this is, well, if as we look at covenant, where was the covenant that we just read written? It's written in the first five books of the Bible known as the law. The books of Moses. Moses wrote about this. This absolutely matters to us, which because it denotes, it tells us very specifically that there is still time to receive the fullness of the blessing, the fullness of the covenant that the Lord God made with Abraham. It cannot be done, however, by human means, not by might nor by power, but only by the Holy Spirit. But we have to understand why and why we can trust the Lord and how he purposed for this relationship to be from the beginning. And and it is much like a he is our Heavenly Father. So the relationship that he is searching for with his people. Yes, is to be their God and for us to be his people, but not to be slaves. It is to be that of like a father to his child. 
So if, oh, we can look at it in, in this way. Romans 8, starting in verse 14, says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious, ancient, anxious, excuse me, longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that all creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I know there's a lot to take in there, but it shows the heart of the Father, of our Heavenly Father, but also how we must approach Him. You know, as I, as I think back even to my own childhood, or just children in general, how are children with their, their father? Those that, I'll say, have one in the home. Because we can acknowledge that there, unfortunately, there are, are many that don't. But this is why the Lord is different, and we're going to go into that here. For those that have a father, that grew up with one in the home, our father was looked upon in such a way, was held in such regard, especially when we were very young, little children, that we knew without a shadow of a doubt there was nothing that our Heavenly Father could not or would not do for us. Whether, whether it was actually true or not. And I'm talking about our earthly fathers. We thought they could fly. We would think they could lift up a house or a car or two at the same time. It was a common thing amongst, I'll say, other children and boys my age to, oh, my dad could beat up your dad and vice versa, right? It would, it would cause arguments and potentially even fights. It would just, there was that much, I'll say, trust and confidence in our Father knowing that he only had purposed good things for us, that he was going to protect us and look out for us. There was nothing he could not do. And there was a, a reverence and a respect given, so much so that we did not even use his name. We only called him Dad, or for some, Daddy, or Papa. Using his name was a sign of disrespect. Actually, for, for many, they didn't even know their father's name until they reached a certain level of maturity. 
Well, can I tell you that that's literally that began with our Heavenly Father? That it started the same way. That, if you will, honor, that reverence that we gave to our earthly, our natural fathers, first and foremost started with our Heavenly Father. From the beginning, we can look at Exodus 3.13. Excuse me. It's not that we don't ever know our children, our father's names, but again, we had to come to that level of maturity. But in Exodus 3.13, the Lord is talking to Moses at the, the burning bush, and he's telling him that he's going to send him to the Israelites. And he says, Moses is talking about how, how I'll tell the Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. But they may ask, what is his name? And what shall I say to them? And what does the Lord say? I am who I am has sent me to you. Now, this is important. Because it's not the only time that happened. We can go back to even Genesis and 32.29, right? Jacob wrestles with God at night. And also the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But it says how Jacob asked the Lord's name or asked what the Lord's name was before he was blessed. And the response was, why do you ask my name? Again, in Judges 13, you can look at verses 16 through 18 with Manoah, who is Samson's father. He asked what what the Lord's name was. So, because there was faith, there was confidence. He believed what the angel of the Lord had spoken to him. And he said, what is your name so that when it comes to pass, we can honor you? Denoting his faith. He knew it was inevitable that it was going to happen. He had to do his part and he wanted to honor the Lord in it. And Manoah was then asked why he was asking. And he was asked why he was asking because says the Lord's name is wonderful or beyond comprehension, depending on the translation. The Lord always intended our relationship with him to reflect that of a parent and a child. Even if you, we would look at Luke 7, he says some very interesting things. He says how Jesus is teaching about prayer. And what did the prayer begin with? Our Father who art in heaven. Start with that. It denotes who we're speaking to. Always, always talking about and demonstrating the relationship. But then in Luke, and this is why I bring this up, is because right after he teaches his disciples about prayer, he then goes into distinguishing the difference between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. 
how our earthly fathers are a type and a shadow of the things to come. So it matters. It's of absolute importance to us to learn to have that same trust. The same trust that Jesus had. This absolutely matters to us. But we also talk about, when we talk about sonship, right? We also need to know. I'll phrase it in First in Corinthians chapter 2. It talks about this. In verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now I bring this up because it it brings us to the, the second part of this. In any relationship or in the relationship that the Lord designed, we need to understand and should not be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. The Lord always intended he is our Heavenly Father and to be our Heavenly Father. For him to be our God and we to be his people. But not in the traditional sense that has been taught. He is our Heavenly Father and we are his children. And as we read, joint heirs with Christ. So, in any relationship, in the natural father and child relationship, what typically happens? As we grow and we think we can provide for ourselves, the natural tendency is to begin to trust less and less of what our Father has taught us to trust less of his ability to take care of us, to protect us. But we listen to others and to what man says. And this has always been the downfall, the reason for sin and iniquity, listening to other voices. And there are many in the world. But which one is speaking blessing and covenant over us? Which one intends to uphold it? It's only our Heavenly Father. And because it's our Heavenly Father and we are made in His image and His likeness, it should be of no coincidence and no surprise that that is exactly what the enemy attempts to destroy. The family dynamic 
and, and the marriage covenant. But then also, <clears throat> excuse me, but then also the relationship between the father and the child. Let's think back in history, even U.S. history, on the attack on marriage, on the divorce rates, marriage being that between a man and a woman. But then all the, even legislation, with which to remove the man, the father, from the household, to not pour into the child's life. To separate a child from his father or a father from his child. <clears throat> to vacate, to have the, the father or the man vacate, abdicate his role, his place, his position. And not lead and guide and train up and raise up the future generation. <clears throat> is of utmost importance that we as men step into our role. But it's the role that, again, was first designed by the Lord and that he always determined it to be. If we would go to, to Deuteronomy 32, Moses is given this song that the Lord required him, commanded him to speak in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. So I want to read the first 10 verses of this. He says, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples, according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. So as you see, even in this, the Lord is reminding them, hey, I am your father. Yes, I am your God and you are my people, but I am your father. That is how he intended the relationship to be. He is the only one that we can trust. So will we trust his word? Because as you see, even in this, 
while he had continually demonstrated himself faithful and had even bought them or redeemed them and made them and established them. They were not his children because they did not trust him, but they acted in opposition. And actually, throughout the rest of that, the song here in Deuteronomy 32, there is constant reminders of that. And the results of being rebellious and stubborn and obstinate and just in opposition to our Heavenly Father. But he always, if you look at that, he is asking the people to repent so that he can redeem his people, his children, that he can save them. That's why he, he ends by saying this, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and he will render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people. And then it says how Moses came and spoke the words of the song and the hearing of the people. He with Joshua, the son of Nun, when Joshua, excuse me, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong the days, your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. And again, as we said, or as as our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ said, not one jot or tittle shall pass away until, uh, as far as the law and the prophets go, until all is fulfilled. Well, again, it's the law and the prophets. Jeremiah says it slightly different. He says it this way, talking about, I'll say, well, inviting, God is inviting, that is, Israel to repent. And and I bring this up not just for Israel, but like I said before, it is for us, for, for each and every person on the face of this earth and their nation. I'll, I speak for, for myself, but I as a citizen of the United States of America, we, like Israel, were founded to be different. Even historically, yes, okay, we had our founding fathers like George Washington, but he was a man of prayer. Even prior to him, there was a man by the name of Winthrop. And Winthrop served as the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony. But he had a vision of a new commonwealth that came to to do the or came into the world for the purpose of doing the will and the purposes of God denoting and he even used the scripture saying that that we will be as a city set upon a hill the eyes of all people are upon us but the importance comes from that exact thing to do the will of the Lord. And I think we can honestly, if we examine ourselves and 
whether it's historically, but even now, with all that the Lord is revealing and showing. He's exposing all the ways that we have not been obedient to him, that we have fallen and that we need to repent and turn to him as the prodigal son, as a child to his father, because he intends to restore us. But we must first repent and turn to him with our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or soul, body, and strength. But Jeremiah says it this way. In Jeremiah chapter 3. Multiple times, beginning of verse 11, he, he says multiple times how we are to repent. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord, right? But in verse, I'll start in verse 14. It says, Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you. And I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increase in the land, declares the Lord, they will no longer say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. And it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. Nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north, to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. Then I said, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, You shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. The Lord always determined and purposed, yes, that he is our God and we are his people, but that he would be and is our Heavenly Father. So I want to encourage us as a nation to make things right with our Heavenly Father, to restore or to repent and ultimately restore that relationship. Because he is the only one that can protect us. He is the only one that cares enough to do so. And has the ability, the capability, to deliver us. To set us free from the mess and the bondage that we put ourselves in. That we entrapped ourselves with. He will deliver us. And he will set us on the right paths. His path. His ways are straight. They are sure. And that's for every area and aspect of life. Our life, our children's, and our children's children's lives. The future generations. He's already purposed and planned to give a future and a hope. But we must trust him. He is 
able, ready, and willing to save. And his arm is not too short that he cannot save. So let us turn to him. Let us restore or seek him to restore and repair that relationship. Not just so that he delivers us, but because we truly love him. Because we can acknowledge and treat him with the honor and the reverence, or as many scriptures say, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord that he deserves. This is not one of the greatest commandments. Well, I won't say greatest, but it's one of the commandments. Honor your father and mother. If that's for our natural or earthly parents, how much more so should we honor or revere our Heavenly Father. Amen? Well, we're going to pause there for today. Give us all time to process that, to ponder that, and to do what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. To repent of the things that we need to repent from. To restore that relationship with our Heavenly Father for ourselves, but also for our nation. Not just for the United States, not just for Israel, but for any nation who's out there. Stand in the gap for your nation with your Heavenly Father. And continue to stand for righteousness and justice. We love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful evening.